0: Hello and welcome to Minnesota Swine and You podcast series, a University of Minnesota extension swine program. Today's podcast is a research update on PERS farm surface contamination assessment through environmental sampling. My name is Sarah Sheik-Belke, your host, and I'm a swine extension educator with the University of Minnesota. Joining me today is Marcelo Malini, who is a second-year PhD student in the Department of Veterinary Population Medicine. Welcome back, Marcelo.
1: Thank you for having me for a second time on this podcast um, and sharing some of our projects with you. I'm gonna tell you a little bit more about myself and the sense of uh, what I'm doing is I'm currently in the end of my second year as a PhD student, and focusing on purse-related projects with Dr. Cesar Corso as my advisor. And sometimes I'm also helping in the Morrison Swine Health Monitoring Project, also known as MSHIP, with some of their projects that are related with PD or purse or other type of diseases. And uh, from my, uh, from me, it's uh, I. Some information is that I was born and raised in Guatemala, where I got my degree in veterinary medicine and my master's degree as well. And before I came to Minnesota, I worked for several years in different swine-related companies and farms to improve the health status, management, and uh, production of of the pigs.
0: Great. Thank you for um, explaining your background to us again, and also who you're working with what topic will you be talking to us about today?
1: I'm going to share information about a project in which purse uh, contamination in farm surfaces was assessed using environmental samples and these were surfaces that um were in some cases outside the barns and in other cases not directly inside the the barns they were not conducted in the rooms. They were conducted maybe um, in before coming into the the barn or just in the anteroom or some corridors, but samples were not taken inside the rooms. So no close con- direct close contact with with the pigs.
0: Before we get too far here, um, are you able to share what was the funding source for this research project?
1: Well, this project was funded by the Swine Disease Eradication Center, the SDEC, and this um, is, has an aim to discover and communicate information on swine disease transmission control and elimination.
0: So let's get back to your research project here of the environmental sampling of PERS. So can you give a brief introduction to this research study explaining why it was a valuable project to do?
1: As we know, the porcine reproductive and respiratory syndrome PERS, uh, this virus, can be transmitted by direct and the indirect route Pigs become infected through direct nose-to-nose contact, or when they're exposed to purse positive saliva, urine, semen, and nasal secretions, feces, and also mammary gland secretions. That's from the again the direct r- route. Now, the indirect transmission refers to the exposure to contaminated fomites. Fomites are every contaminated uh, object. These are boots, coveralls, needles, vehicles, and also uh, another indirect transmission is through aerosols. So as we remember after this newly emerged variant of first virus classified um, as L1C144 variant, more information was needed to help understand how it got to be distributed so quickly throughout the Midwest. and one approach to gather information on, on this pers contam- uh, virus was the contamination of surfaces of on positive farms, and if this contamination could help the virus um, disseminate. So we need to understand: is the uh, if it can be carried from location to location from these contaminated sources, or if the the personnel is is playing an important role of moving pers from from farm to farm.
0: Could you answer the question of how did you go about completing this study?
1: This study was conducted during the summer and fall of 2021 and the spring of 2022. And a convenient number of farms were selected and we included a criteria that included just, well, either breeding or growing pig farms that represent represent the modern production practices in the United States and they had to be located in the Midwest. Um, they had to be confirmed to be housing L1C144 variant pigs, uh, positive through not only PCR but also sequencing, that these farms had to be four to five weeks of post-clinical outbreak. And we also set um, a maximum amount of samples that could be collected from each farm Um, also a minimum. Um, So from this was from a group of practitioners were asked, okay, which areas do you think are most likely to be at risk of contamination of PERS? Um, After these areas were defined, we began to use a protocol that is commonly used for influenza, for soy influenza, in which we have Um, sterile cloth with uh, putting a resealable bag with 20 milliliters of PVS solution. So we collect that one day before the the sampling. We have all the bags ready and then we go to a farm with a list of of the um, locations and we begin to wipe um, depending on the surface it could be a one maybe one foot by one foot or area, or maybe six inches by six inches. It depends on the area or the whole area if it's a, a door handle. So we wiped it with uh, using uh, using gloves, we wiped the area, put the lock back into the bag, squeeze, pour the liquid onto the sterile uh, tubes, and then label these tubes. And between, it's very important that in between samples, we have to clean our hands and also change gloves just to avoid cross-contamination, and then transport all these uh, samples to the UMN BDL for PCR testing. Um, So some of these areas where, for example, the mortality sled or or the mortality cards, the anti-room floor, either at the near end and at the entrance of of the area or passing the bench, if they had a bench. Mm -hmm. Um, In some cases, some boots were also sampled, um, door handles. The uh, for the workers, some of the cars, the, the pedals, the steering wheel were also sampled. And additionally, we tried to do uh, particle deposition sampling, in which we put, we place um, uh, aluminum foil in the four cardinal points of the farm, around maybe three feet from each uh, side of the of the barn. We placed this aluminum foil, waited for one hour, and then we collected the the sample from the the surface of this aluminum foil to see if any uh, viral particles were being placed on top. And this was basically what was done for the study.
0: So then were the samples, or I should say the locations that you took the samples at, were those pretty standardized from site to site?
1: This was, um, they were standardized. But sometimes they were not always available. Um, we tried to, when we got to, for the breeding farms, they were pretty standardized. Mm-hmm. For the nurseries and the grow to finish, some of them did have the anti-room with the bench. Some didn't have that. They were just directly, so there's no division. So it's okay. Uh, we're going to assume this is going to, Going to be an anti-room um and they all they didn't have a corridor for the mortality or they were using the same doors for taking out the dead so it's um we tried to standardize but we have to accommodate uh, the the number of samples according to the specific type of farm that we were visiting
0: mm-hmm. i understand as so you planned it to be standardized but it was also gonna depend on the farm and kind of how they had things laid out and everything at the farm. Yes. Makes sense. So now that you shared with us, you know, kind of how you went about doing this project, what were the results?
1: So at the end, we had a total of seven farms that were housing these L1C144 variant, um, with positive pigs and we also had one person negative farm that we use as negative control. In total we had 169 environmental samples and um, just six of these seven positive farms we had at least one surface that was PCR positive. There was one positive farm that no samples it had a positive result. Um and from these positive farms or these six positive farms, 19 out of 143 samples had um positive results you know, for PCR in with CT values between 25 to 37, so quite high. Uh, so for for us it shows that there's presence of the RNA, but this might not be viable. We did also virus isolation in some of the samples, and there was no positive results. So from um, eight of the possible samples that originated from exhaust fan cones, I didn't mention this, but we also sampled exhaust fan cones. So, eight of these samples were positive. Um, they were also positive main door, uh, entry doorknobs, or doorknobs of the door leading to the mortality disposal corridor. And other positive uh, surfaces were the anti room floors and the mortality cart and sleds, which these last ones make a little bit more sense because they have a lot of blood in them. Mm. So, when because you'll find some PERS because of of the blood, or that's what I'm assuming. And again, two samples were tested for virus isolation, but none could be grown. So we know that we can detect PERS, but we don't really know if it's viable or not. It could be, but just the amount is just too low.
0: So just so I understand, um, when you said that, for example, I think it was 19 out of the 143 samples that tested positive for PERS, it was that you found the genetic material for PERS there, but it wasn't necessarily infectious for PERS. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, that's completely correct. It is there if it's if it has the capacity to be transmitted or infect pigs, we don't exactly know, but mm-hmm. we know that it's being shared or being taken out of the of the room into surfaces that it shouldn't be there. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just finding the uh, virus in doorknobs, that's, that means it, there is a chance of it being taken not only from the inside of the room, but to other farms as well.
0: Mm -hmm. So what you're seeing is with this project, yeah, you kind of stopped at just finding the genetic material on those surfaces. It wasn't part of the project to see if that genetic material was viable. Is that correct? We we tried.
1: It was one of the, the purposes was also to try to determine if it was viable, but the there's also another I won't say problem but there there's something to take into account when sampling for in environmental samples is we're going to have high CT values from the PCR okay. and these uh results or uh, that just are not what can be used exactly for virus isolation for my understanding is for virus isolation it is needed to have low CT values. Once we have above 25, or we even have some that are 25.4 or 25, those were not being able to have some virus isolation. So it it needs to be a higher concentration of of, uh, the virus in the surface. So again, we know that there is enough to be detected, but not enough to assess in the state in which is uh, there.
0: Okay, that makes sense. So you found genetic material, but it wasn't high enough concentration to see if it was viable. But yes. Okay. Thank you for that further explanation. <laughs> so based off of your results, uh, what conclusions can be made from this study?
1: Well, again, as... Um... That the detection of pers virus genetic material on surfaces, either on the outer or inner areas of a farm that house houses uh, pers um, positive per, uh, pigs, it, it can be possible using targeted surfaces for the sampling, and we can also have uh, conclude that this exploratory study provides evidence that biocontainment efforts to prevent the spread of PERS virus from infected farms needs to be reassessed. Uh, So again, if uh, there are some surfaces that maybe I would not recommend to sample for environmental, and maybe the the type of material or the exposure to some elements just will degrade the the virus, but there are some that have proven to us that are very reliable sources for sampling.
0: So these results that you shared, why are they important
1: takeaways? Well, these results can help bring more understanding regarding some of the dynamics of this newly emerged PERS virus variant, the L1C144, on the field level. This is more applicable and not in an in exper- experimental sense, but directly on the field. And knowing it can be found on frequently touched surfaces tell, tells us that biosecurity practices might need to be improved. Again, um, how often are we maybe washing our hands before leaving the, the barns? Or are we attending to our feet in the sense of the boots? If we found some positive samples from the anteroom floor, that means it, even if it had a bench or it didn't have a bench, it's it can prove that it can exit the barn because some boots were able to put it there. So um, again, how are we taking care of biosecurity? Or or sometimes I I, I imagine it's hard to be compliant of biosecurity, we have in the in the farm, we have a lot of activities. We have to not only check one farm, we have to check several farms in one day. And it has to be sometimes rushed. We have uh, to do uh, some emergency activities with the silos or the food distribution. So we have to move quickly and we just forget at some point biosecurity is in place. Um, or maybe no one's watching, so I can just this one time be quick and nobody would, will notice. But again, birds can be very opportunist. So it, it takes every help we can give it to exit the barn or infect a pig. Birds will take it. Uh, so are we helping the virus to exit the barns? That needs to be, again, the... Uh, being addressed.
0: Right, very good. Um, I was gonna ask you about biosecurity because I believe you had said that of the farms that you tested, I think you said that one of them, you didn't find positive samples. So I was gonna ask you, oh, does that mean that, you know, that farm was doing a really good job with their biosecurity and that's why you didn't find it on some of those surfaces?
1: Yes, I will say they might, have a better improvement of their biosecurity, but uh, it was in a breeding herd. So breeding herds, again, they are very, or very strict in their biosecurity. In some cases uh, they ask for, or most of them in general, ask for downtime, but breeding farms, they take it more seriously the, the, the bench, the showers, everything's more to the point. Every, uh, there's SOPs in place um, that are being carried on by all the personnel. So to me, it wasn't that um, surprising to see in a breeding herd. I, I, I didn't specify this, but it was a breeding herd. And I, I'm not saying nurseries so or growth to finish don't take biosecurity seriously, but... Breeding herds, they just are on top of it. They're, they have like this eagle eyes on the farm and just looking at everything uh, more closely.
0: Yes, that makes, that makes a lot of sense as to why that one was the farm that you maybe didn't find positive samples. Like you said, they tend to be um, a little bit more strict in their biosecurity so that they can keep high level of herd health. So to wrap up our discussion here, are there any closing remarks that you would like to make?
1: So let's remember that biosecurity has several components uh, such as biomanagement, bioexclusion, and biocontainment. In this project, we aim to better understand some aspects of the biocontainment regarding the PERS-144 L1C variant. And the results from this study showed that this virus can be found on surfaces outside the farm or which come into frequent contact with uh, farm personnel. And from this, we need to go back to the basics to have biocritic protocols that are realistic and are easy to follow in order to avoid uh, taking out microorganisms, not only birds but others, from inside the farm to exterior areas and contaminating them in the sense that um, just putting the microorganisms out there, right? If we can uh, minimize this spread, we can help the reduction of the risk of PERS dissemination.
0: Very good. Those are good closing remarks. I like how you mentioned that, you know, we need to go back to the basics and review those biosecurity protocols because I think, um, like you mentioned earlier, you know, sometimes at farms they get complacent um, or maybe maybe there's, um, you know, feed bridged up in a feed bin or something and you think, oh, I'll just run outside really quick to free up that feed so it runs through the feed line. It won't take me that long. I'm, you know, not going to change boots just really quick, do it. But unfortunately, some of those cases are opportunistic, like you mentioned, and it doesn't take a lot of virus To have on the bottom of our shoes or on our hands or on our coveralls and then we allow it to hitch a ride either outside of the facility or opening a doorknob it's now on that doorknob or on the floor of the entryway whatever the case might be so that's a really good reminder for everyone to review those biosecurity protocols make sure that they're realistic And easy for folks to follow so that they do follow them um, no matter what they're doing in the barn. Well, Marcelo, I want to thank you once again for your willingness to record a podcast with me. And this time, sharing your research on PERS Farm Service Contamination Assessment through Environmental Sampling. So thank you. And I want to thank all of those that are listening to the University of Minnesota Swine and You podcast. This has been Sarah Sheik Belke, Swine Extension Educator, along with Marcelo Malini, Veterinary Medicine Graduate Student. To further connect with the University of Minnesota Swine Extension, please visit the swine-specific webpages on University of Minnesota Extension's website at www.extension.umn.edu swine. And on those pages, you will find connections to our blog as well as our Facebook page. To learn about research being done by our swine faculty in veterinary medicine, please visit their Swine in Minnesota blog at www.umnswinenews.com.